Charles Spurgeon said, When home is ruled according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay with us, and they would not find themselves out of their element. I don't know if that sounds like your home. Men, if you were to fill in the blank to this question, my wife would appreciate being loved like this. And fill in the blank. What would you say? What kind of love would your wife really appreciate? Ephesians 5 tells how God describes love in an active way. Men, our goal is not to have our wives appreciate us. That's a side benefit. Our goal is to please the Lord. And Ephesians 5 tells each of us husbands how to please the Lord in our marriages. Go with me to Ephesians 5 and verse 1, please. There's a progression here that Paul is called in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He is called uh, believers to walk in the spiritual truths that God has placed them in. In Ephesians 4 through 6, he now parses that out into how they are to walk. In Ephesians 5, 1 says this, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And the word followers there is the word imitators. And Paul's command to us is that we imitate God as his children. Like a child would imitate their father and walk in their father's footsteps, so a, uh, a, a child of God is to imitate their father. And we looked in uh, chapter 5 and verse 24, or 20, 22 through 24 last week, and the wise expression of that. Let me remind you that chapter 5, verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so everything that follows in chapter 5, 18, being filled with the Spirit, is an expression of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The way believers are to submit to one another. The way a wife is to... Is to uh, chase her design in marriage. The way a husband is to chase his design in marriage. The way children are to obey their parents and honor them. The way that fathers and mothers bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And verses 5 and 6, our work and our labor in the public place as either a boss or servant or worker. All is an expression of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And we saw last week that for the wife, there was a command to be filled with the Spirit. There is a command. And the command was this, in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then after the command, then, in verse 23, he describes how this is so. He says, For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. How the church is to respond to the headship of Jesus Christ is how the wife is to respond to her husband. And then in verse 24, he says, Therefore, in the conclusion, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. And the end of the chapter, chapter 5, verse 33, he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, or individually, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her honor her husband. And so that was the uh, idea here last week here with the wives, that the way a wife is to, is to chase being filled with the Spirit and being under God's control is to be conformed to the Word of God in this way in her marriage. 
And now we're going to see the other side of it here, the side of the husband, because this is an intricate dance. Uh, uh, this is this is the, uh, the this is the wife building up her husband through honor and respect, and this is the husband building up his wife through proper love here. And so, first of all, this morning I'd like us to see the command. This sets the stage here. The command is first of all to love your wife. Look in verse twenty-five. Husbands love your wives. Husband love husbands love your wives. The weight of this passage all the way through, 25 through 33, is that men are to love their wives. Men are to love their wives. You might ask yourself, well, what does he mean love? Well, the quality of the love that husbands are required to give to their lives is shown by the word that is used in the original language for love. There are three other words in the Greek language that could, be, have, could, could have been used for love. Uh, for the love of a husband for a wife. There is the word Ariel that expressed the deep sexual passion that man and woman have. There are the words phileo or storgeo that are used for affection within a family, like a, a, an affectionate kind of love in a family, your, 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 um, uh, the, the fondness. But none of those three words are used here. Instead, Paul uses the typically Christian word agape. Love that is totally unselfish. Love that does not seek its own satisfaction. When he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. So when you see that word love, here's what he's saying. A love that doesn't even require an affection from the other person to answer to it. A love that strives, in other words, for the highest good of the one who is loved. And this love, of course, has its standard and model of Christ for His church. That will come up next. But it means not only a practical concern for the welfare of the other, but a continual readiness to subordinate one's own pleasure and advantage for the benefit of the other. It implies patience and kindness, humility and courtesy, trust and support, as one has defined it. In other words... This love means that one is eager to understand what the needs and the interests of the other are and will do everything in their power and their ability to supply those needs and further those interests. So that leads us to then to number two, the quality of this love. The quality of this love. He says, husbands, love your wives, and here's the quality, the qualification for it, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In other words, we're to love like Jesus loves. Well, that begs the question, what does it mean to love like Jesus loves? Well, in this passage of Scripture, there are five verbs that show the unfolding stages of Jesus' commitment to His bride. Five actions that show Jesus' commitment to His bride, His covenant to His bride. He loved her. He gave Himself up for her. He sanctifies her. He has cleansed her that he might present her to himself. And that statement there is so complete, it covers everything, it's comprehensive. There's nothing you can add to it. In fact, some scholars think it might be an early Christian confession, or even a, even a, a hymn, or part of the church liturgy. But in other words, it traces Christ's care for his church, all the way from the past to a future that we haven't even seen yet. Of course, it does this through the picture of the cross, when it says just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself for her. Where did Jesus give himself 
for the church? Well, the answer is the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. Paying a penalty he did not owe. Because he loved. And so this kind of love, this quality, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, is a self-sacrificing love with a spiritual intent after the example of Jesus. In other words, love is not just an idea or a feeling. Love is an idea that is expressed in action. In action. So that's a quality of the love. But thirdly, I want to, you to notice the goal of the love. The goal of the love. The goal is in Ephesians 5 and verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church. That word glorious means uh, a church of splendor, a church of magnificence not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So the goal is that he might present this church, this bride, to himself as a glorious church. That's the goal of Jesus in his church. And so if we're to love our wives in this way, as Jesus loved the wife with this way, with this goal in mind, then on the practical level, husbands, that means to actively love your wife to magnificence. To actively love your wife to magnificence. It means not to suppress her. It means not to put up with her. It means to actively love her to magnificence, to splendor. To see what, what, what Jesus will do with her. The way Christ loves His church is so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. That, that word splendor here, or glory, is, is, is a, a, a linked to the New Testament idea of glorification. Glorification. Glorification simply means that all believers, after they die, will fully and finally be like Jesus. For all eternity, they will be like Jesus. That God's purpose toward us on this earth is not merely to make us nice people, but to make us glorious people with something of His own glory. Let me show you how Paul expresses this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul says this, Whereto he called you by our gospel, by the good news of Jesus, who died according to the scriptures for our sins, was buried and raised again. Wherefore he called you by our gospel to the obtaining or the gaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's purpose. And so this word in Ephesians 5 uh, and verse Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, is the idea of a splendor, a glory, an uncommon and a highly esteemed status of honor. In other words, on the marriage level, the gospel of what Jesus has done, the good news of what Jesus has done, who gave himself for you, husbands, who gave himself for you, wives, who gave himself for you, children, the gospel fills a husband's heart with a sense of his wife's greatness and potential, that glorious woman that God will make her to be. And therefore he learns to love her accordingly. And you might say, yeah, that's the problem. She's not that way yet. 
That's the problem. And that's why a Christ-like husband makes her burden lighter. He is to serve her as her lover, as her provider, as her defender, the way Jesus has served as provider and lover and defender with His church. But even more deeply, husbands, you are called to be the head in your home. But a biblical headship flows out of the mind of Jesus. Let me say, well, I don't feel like that in my home. You have, you are the head of your home. You're either a bad one or a good one. Our Savior's own mindset, His own attitude, His own mentality becomes visible in a Christian husband who desires to see his wife flourish, who cheerfully takes responsibility to lead, to provide for, and to protect his wife. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ has flourished because Jesus has cared for her and is cared for at his own cost and very deeply. The church of Jesus Christ is not better, not worse, because of how wonderful we are, but because of Jesus' care for us. And husbands... Your love for your wife is to be displayed in a way that shows that you have given yourself to her splendor, her magnificence, so that she is better than she ever was by your care. The heart of the Christian husband comes to a a focal point, really, in that word in verse 25 there, um, love, right? Love. Husbands, love your wives. That word love, it's, it's a sacrificial boldness there, isn't it? That word love, though, is used in so many, overused in our society so much. We, we love pizza. Or we like somebody's Facebook status. Or we love their Facebook status. Or we love that color car. Man. Or we just love a beautiful fall day. But this word love, because it's so overused, needs to be drilled down a little deeper here. So how can we drill down deeply, more deeply into this word? Well, Paul does that for us as if you read on. He says in verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. Jesus Christ, who sets apart the church, who cleanses it with the washing of water by the Word of God, who, who frames out what the church should be, who administrates what the church should look like, how it is to function, who, who has given directives and commands of what it is to be holy and set apart the church by declaring it righteous and then by framing out how it is to walk, That church that in verse uh, 27 he says he will present a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but wholly set apart without blemish. Then Paul says in verse 28, in that way, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You may say, well, what does that mean? In other metaphors and pictures in Scripture, Jesus Christ is the head and the church is the body. Jesus the head loves the church 
as his own body because it is his own body. In such a way, so in our marriages, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies because the Bible says you are one flesh and you are together. And verse 28 says, He that loves his wife loves himself. Now what does he mean by that? He's not saying if you love your wife, you're selfish because you're loving yourself. He's saying you are so... Uh, you are so linked together. You become, as Scripture says, one flesh. That was that is what marriage is. You are a one flesh relationship. Two become one. The the, the 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 husband leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. They become one. That it only makes sense that you would then love your wife in this way because she is you. You are her. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord does the church. So here is the process of love. Here is how it looks. The words nourish and cherish really restate and they clarify what it means to love. Christ nourishing and cherishing the church as his own body is how Christ loves His church. Christ is not a a tyrant. Uh, A Christian husband is not to be a tyrant. But He is one who nourishes and cherishes. And so let's look at this process here. What do these words mean? Number four, the process. Nourishes and cherishes. Just as Jesus nourishes and cherishes His church, so husbands, this is key, this is important for you. Husbands, this is how you love your wives, by nourishing and cherishing. Now, these words, nourish and cherish, take a husband beyond just bringing home a paycheck, don't they? Bringing home the bacon. These are words of wholehearted involvement. I don't nourish something. I don't cherish something haphazardly or occasionally. The word nourish here means this. It means to develop, to nurture, to lift up. In fact, this word is used in Ephesians 6.4, just a few verses down, where he instructs father, Christian fathers to not provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word discipline there is the word nourishing, an admonition of the Lord. Okay? The nurture. The nurture. And so with that idea, then is a sense of purpose and dignity and care and attention that a wife is supposed to receive from her husband. So a loving Christian husband, in other words, for following this idea of nourishing, cares so deeply about his wife that he makes sure that her life is moving in the direction that is desirable. Just as Christ nourishes us all. So, ladies who are married to a Christ-like husband... There's no such thing as a dead-end marriage. Husbands, if you are loving in this way, your wife, your marriage is not static. It is dynamic. It is, this, is, this is not a dead-end life here. A woman married to a man who is reflecting Jesus' love in this way to his church comes to the end of her days as an old lady and she's sitting on the porch in her rocking chair, looking back on life, she's praising God and thinking, being married by God's grace to this man opened my life up. Yeah, we suffered. We made mistakes. But in it all, my husband nourished me. 
He cared about how my life was going. We've had a wonderful life together, living together for Christ. That is nourishing one's life. But it goes further. It's not only nourishing, but he says nourish and cherish. It's as if the nourishing wasn't even far enough. He says cherish, and the cherish goes even deeper. It goes deeper emotionally. This word means to comfort, to warm, to soften, as like the heat would soften a uh, a piece of wax. This is where we get the word heartwarming. It conveys this thought, doesn't it? Paul uses this word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 where he says, We are gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Cherishing, taking care of her own children. So in other words, when a man is married to this kind, or a woman is married to this kind of a man, a lovingly Christ-like man who cherishes her, she has a warmth in her heart at being valued, understood that that her husband holds her in high value because of God's gift to him, and he and she is held dear above all other people, above her children, above his work associates, above his friends, above his hobbies. This woman is held dear above all others, second only to Jesus Himself. Her husband doesn't compare her with others, the other guy's wife. Her husband doesn't find fault with her. Her husband doesn't treat her as a loser that he's stuck with. Instead, her husband delights in her and prizes her, and she, her heart is warmed. That's cherishing one's wife. Now, um, I asked your wives um, some ideas for how uh, 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 Christian husbands could express their love, and based on the answers, I think we're doing. Uh, it seemed it seemed like, unless people were just, weren't just weren't being honest, it seemed like there were a lot worse things that could be going on. Of course, Holy Spirit is the one involved in everyone's marriage, and He sees and knows all. But here are the things that have been responded based on the question of. What would it look like for a husband to properly love his wife? Here's the things that came up. There's some drumbeats and patterns here that are repeated. Um, Tell them that you appreciate them. And that came up quite a few times. Uh, To not be um, assumed. To not be neglected. Uh, To really be appreciated about all the things that they've done for you. Another thing that came up frequently was listening The stereotype is true. Men need to listen better. Listen, tell her, here's here's what one wrote, tell her you you enjoy her company. You love her, you find her beautiful, remember to do something that she's asked, uh, etc. I said, that's better than roses to me. Another wife said, be present when with me, not distracted by phone or work, etc. Take care of the contributions to the household. Uh, without without making me a nag. Don't make me feel guilty about needing time away from the kids. And even you. <laughs> As a mom and wife, I need a break from everybody once in a while, and you being willing to help with that is, capital letters, 
huge. One said, he could show me love by reading and discussing the Word with me in a meaningful way, demonstrating the values of my insight and thoughts and praying together regularly. Another said, by being helpful, being attentive enough to the situation at hand to notice that I could use help. Another said, tending the things that only he can do and not letting tasks pile up and then uh, not leaving tools or parts, things laying around. Finishing a job? Another said when he is wrong, his wife or children to quickly admit that he was wrong and attempt to make things right, asking forgiveness and not trying to excuse sin or prideful attitudes. One person said actively listen when we talk, even if they're not that interested. Compliment her. Don't take things for granted. The meal, the house, etc. Respect her feelings. Allow her to speak freely during discussion. Find small ways to show her your love. Give an example of leaving notes. Another said, take initiative on date nights. Do all the legwork. Such as getting a babysitter. Deciding what we're doing, where we're going. Having all the pieces in place. Thinking of the details. And some of you men, you can, you can plan elaborate work projects. For weeks on end. Use those skills to romance your wife. When asking what she likes or would help in a given situation, really listen to her answer and input. Not just do what you wanted to do anyway. Another said, compliment them, judge less. Physical touch that is non-sexual. Plan a getaway. Speak well of her to others. Respectful acts. My husband always holds the door for me to walk through. First, for example, he respects my input on family decisions. He makes me feel loved when alone or in a crowd. Spend time with your children. Mentor them in God's Word. Someone said, listen to my words but hear my heart because my brain doesn't translate from one to the other properly. So give me grace. Give me grace. The world, the flesh, and the devil do not do this for me. So please, you give me grace. One person said, A man who doesn't love his wife like this makes it very hard for her to submit to him and to grow spiritually. Part of the way Christ loves His church is through ongoing nourishing and cherishing. And a husband is far from this when he is harsh, critical, more than encouraging, neglectful, angry, self-righteous, and considerate. She doesn't feel safe. A husband who humbly seeks the Lord for his own life will know how to be kind, gentle, accepting, encouraging, edifying, patient, etc., and can love his wife like Christ loves his church. This is the kind of husband Christian is to be. Someone said this goes both ways, but instead of living for what we can gain or receive from a spouse, truly live for what you can do for them. And one person said, one of the ways that a husband can love his wife is to have a clear understanding of God's love and sacrifice for him. And Paul would say in Ephesians 5, Amen. Resulting, hopefully, in gentle but grounded spiritual leadership in the home. Looking for ways to help your wife in the mundane things of the household. Simple but loving. Some handed me some things on on paper here and uh, uh, making her feel special, little gifts, just because kind of things. A surprise. Date nights. Never take her for granted. 
being aware of all that she's doing. Now, those are specific applications here, but I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Because Paul says, if he could speak with all the languages of the earth, and even angelic languages, but he didn't love others, he would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says if he had the gift of prophecy and he understood God's secret plans and, and possessed all knowledge and he had faith that he could even move mountains, but he didn't love others, he would be nothing. He said if he gave everything that he had to the poor, he even sacrificed his body, he could boast about it, but if he didn't have love others, he would have gained nothing. And so then he describes in 1 Corinthians what love looks like. And I think you'll find in verses 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, this is how Jesus has loved us. And this is therefore how husbands are to love each other and the home is to love each other. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Charity suffers long. That means uh, is patient, endures, and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts, or puffs not itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Paul is saying, first of all, love is patient and kind. Love isn't jealous. Love isn't boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand to have its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep a record of being wronged and hold that over them. It doesn't rejoice about things that are unjust, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love doesn't give up. It doesn't lose faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. So back to Ephesians 5. By the way, men, that would be good for us to memorize, wouldn't it? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, if you're wondering how to love and what love looks like. I realize not everybody has had models of this. I'm thankful for the models in my own life, but regardless of models that we've had, they're all imperfect models. Here is the standard to live up to. And so verse 29 in Ephesians 5 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. Just as Christ does the church. No normal man hates his own body. He might look in the mirror and wish he had a better body than he, than, than he does. But he does not savage his body. Instead, a man makes the best of it that he can. And even so, a man's wife will not be ideal in every way. There's no perfect wife. Just like you're not the perfect husband. But she is still his wife, and that's the point. She is one flesh with him. She is bound to him as a dear part of his self. And so therefore, Paul is saying, how could he neglect or despise her even in her imperfections? No, he will care for her all the more. That's why the nourishing and the cherishing is needed to move her toward what God has destined her to be. And think about it, men. Every one of us has given the Lord plenty of reasons to walk away and give up. But His heart finds in our very offenses only more reasons to stay tenderly involved with us all the way to glory. And so that leads us to, fifthly, the significance of all of this, this undergirding here. 
All of this. He says, even as the Lord does the church. And then verse 30, he says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Here's what he's saying here. What he roots our marriages in is astounding. It's it's mind-blowing. None of us would normally say that marriage is mind-blowing. When you hear about two people getting married, you don't normally say, wow, that's mind-blowing. Normally you don't say that. Marriage is, is very common, isn't it? But Paul here says it is a profound mystery, which means that there's a significant, eternal truth that God reveals through Christian marriage. And he says marriage is to reveal one of the eternal purposes of God. Flip over a couple chapters to chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul says, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying the church reveals to the watching universe in space and time, the wisdom of God. Christ the head, eternally joined to His body, the church. Now, you see how Paul um, unpacks this in these verses here. He says in verse 30, we're members of Christ's body, which means this, very simply, we are very near and dear to Jesus. Jesus' church is very near and dear to Him. Paul even doesn't say the church. He says we. He makes it personal. We are members of His body. And, 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 and Jesus makes things personal. By the grace of His cross, Ephesians 2 says He's removed the barriers. He has, he has uh, 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 nursed and cherished us. We occupy a place that is deep within His heart. One commentator writes, We hear our Lord Jesus Christ call us to Himself and tell us that we are so joined to Him that He does not have anything of His own which He does not share with us and of which He will not have us as partakers. The point is this. Christ can't love us any more than this. Any more tenderly. Any more personally. And our hearts are to beat with His grace. They're to pulse with the words of His grace. We are members of His body. But notice what Paul does here. In verse 31, he says this, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. We trace that theme throughout the New Testament in this marriage series. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to one another and becoming one flesh. But in verse 31 here, Paul explains that that is why people get married. That the love of Jesus for us is the reason people get married. Now in Genesis 2, when Paul, when Moses said, therefore, on the basis of how God brought Adam and Eve, he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to one another and be one flesh. That therefore points back to 
Adam and Eve, and Eve being formed out of the rib of Adam. Here in Genesis, Ephesians 5, that therefore points back to the previous verse, which says, we are members of Christ's body. Just as Eve was formed out of Adam's rib, God has formed His church out of His own wounded side. And what God did back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and even more what God has done in united, uniting Christ with His bridegroom, the church, pictures an eternal romance. The love of Jesus for us and our response to that is why God created the universe. And why God... Paul is telling us, this is why God gave marriage back in Eden. It's why there is marriage today. So every time a bride and groom stand there and they take their vows, they are reenacting the biblical love story of God loving the world and giving His Son for it. But the Son of God has stepped down out of eternity. He has entered space and time. He has taken on flesh. He is pursued and He has won a bride as His very heart and body with a sincere love so that He can fit her to be with Him forever. That dramatic super reality is the breathtaking reason why human marriage exists, says Ray Ortland. And therefore, marriage is not just a, it's not a social construct at all. It is profound. And Christian marriages, Christian married couples, you have the opportunity and the gift of making the mystery of the Gospel, what God has done, visible in the world today by living out this interplay of husband and wife. This dance. You see, what Paul says in verse 32, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, this is a great mystery. Not that there's a man and woman who become one flesh and come together, though that is powerful in and of itself. But he says, the thing that's profound about that is the spiritual reality that that illustrates, that that points to. The thing that will never change. And that is Christ and His marriage to the church. Christ in the church is the reality of realities and our marriages is the metaphor of that, is the picture of that. And so what this passage tells us is that every Christian married couple, the head and the helper, the representation, the embodiment, the exemplification of, 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 of the true love that Jesus has for His church, is to put that into walking order. Put that in the flesh. And this is one way that we bear the image of God in our world today that is a very distinct and profound way from the way the world does it. And we don't need to feel a a pressure that is unrealistic like our marriages need to be perfect. It's not what we're saying here. Because no Christian marriage can be the ultimate human experience, can it? No. The ultimate experience is that you are flesh of flesh of Jesus Christ. 
in your marriage can portray that. Every faithful Christian marriage points beyond itself to the perfect union we all share with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's because we need the Lord Jesus Christ, and because our marriages are little metaphors of that, little illustrations of that, little parables of that, little pictures of that, that we can draw strength then in our marriages where we fail from the real marriage that we share with our Lord Jesus. So this does not demand perfect marriages. It demands marriages that are striving together. But it does demand that you draw on the resources of the perfect marriage of Christ and His church for your own marriage. The Lord who has forgiven us, the mercy He has shown us, the kindness He has given us, the sacrifice He shows for us, the cleansing of water by the Word, etc. And so, and the Scripture here, the practical demonstration of the Gospel in our marriage comes down to love and respect, doesn't it? Every Christian husband who truly grasps the Gospel will love his wife as himself. Every Christian wife who grasps the Gospel will respect her husband as her head. His love for her, her respect for him, displays to the world in a powerful, vivid, even tangible way the love of God for His bridegroom and His desire to bring others into that bridegroom. His love for her, her respect for Him displays the eternal romance of Christ in the church bringing the only lasting hope that exists in a broken-hearted world. Oh man, I'm sure there are things that you know in your heart that this needs to change if my marriage is to reflect the love of Christ God has for His bride. You know what it is. And if you don't, I'm sure there are other people, probably your wife, who could name those blind spots. And we can help with that. None of us has arrived. But there are men here who have walked in faithfulness in this way, not perfectly, but in faithfulness in this way in their marriages. And their wives because of the nourishing and the cherishing they have shown, because of how Jesus has shown it to them, their wives are flourishing and have flourished. You need to seek out those people. If you're struggling, if you're floundering, you need to find somebody who has learned. Somebody who has matured in this. Not somebody who is perfect in this, because that eliminates everybody. But somebody who has shown a consistent walk in this. And there are men in this room who have done so. There are also men in this room who have not done so. And you need to raise, by faith in what Jesus has done for you, you need to raise your level of commitment, first of all, to the Lord, so that you can be better and fully committed to your wife. 